This is the Business Storytelling Podcast with Christoph Trapp, available on Google, Spotify, Apple, Pandora, and other podcast channels. Want to play it on your iPhone? Just ask Siri to play the Christoph Trapp Business Storytelling Podcast, also available on Alexa. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Hey, business storytellers, how's it going? Christoph Trapp here, your host and author of Content Performance Culture, another live stream coming your way. This is so much fun. Uh, why not keep doing them a little later today? Because today's guest is based in Singapore and it's nine o'clock their time. It's 7 p.m. my time. I was able to make a work. There was an NFL game in the middle of the afternoon today. Um, so no games tonight, apparently. Interesting um, to, to say that. Um, but we're going to talk about what the heck are people doing online? That's a question all of us marketers want to know. Um, and of course, we have the data um, to talk that through. But before we get started here, a couple housekeeping items. First of all, Cyber Monday still going on. We're making it Cyber Monday week. Get the book, Authentic, uh, no, Authentic Storytelling. That's the blog, AuthenticStorytelling.net is the blog. Content Performance Culture, 99 cents in the U.S., 99 pennies in the United Kingdom. I think that is correct. It's pennies in the UK. I actually had to look that up. Uh, my guest gives me a nod from the green room. So we, uh, we're good on that. The other thing, quick shout out to our friends over at Restream. I always have to remember which way to move. Um, Restream allows us to publish this to all these different channels. So if you're listening on the podcast version of this, friendly reminder, uh, we live stream these shows at well, usually a few weeks in advance. Restream.io forward slash join forward slash C trap. Check that out. And that's how we're live streaming to Periscope, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook times two, um, Twitch, and Amazon Live. So we are indeed live on Amazon again to share this content. And of course, if you're watching on Amazon at the bottom, uh, are all the books from previous guests. My books are there and you can check them out and click click on over um, and take a look at those books. So to get us going here though, today's guest, as I mentioned, based in Singapore, uh, he's a data um, expert and he will um, fill us in on what are people doing online um, and, and you know what can we learn from it. So let me just pull up his bio here. So many buttons to push, guys. Simon Kemp, uh, he helps you make sense of what people are really doing online. CEO of um, uh, one company, chief analyst of another. They are in the uh, show notes at the bottom if you want to check them out. Um, and let's let's get them out of the comfy green room here and find out what is it that people do online. Simon, how's it going? I'm good. How are you doing, Christoph? Hanging in there. Um, this is past my bedtime. Not, I'm, I'm kidding. Not quite, but we're certainly <laughs> getting there. But when you mentioned you wanted to come on the show and I realized the time difference, not a problem at all. Um, so, thanks, sir. You know. Hey, uh, really quickly, um, thanks for coming on here. I want to share this quickly. As you can see, guys, we have all this stuff flying on the screen and we use uh, Switcher Studio to do that. Uh, Livestream with SwitcherStudio.com. Use Trap One first month off. Um, simple enough. Dataportal.com is where people can find all the stuff we're talking about today. Um, so, 
Simon, you, you talk about data. What are people doing? It's always interesting to find out. We saw the report from Andy Crestadina the other day, what websites they visit, Google, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, number seven, I think, was Pornhub in the United States. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about useful stuff to the mainstream marketers, correct? We can talk about the porn as well. It is, from a marketing perspective, important to touch on it. No pun intended, but um, yeah, maybe not the maybe not the primary subject for today's conversation. So let's let's dive in. What I mean, when you when people come to you and say, "Hey, tell, Simon, tell us what are people doing online? What what do we need to think about? What do we have to know?" To, to make good use of that knowledge? Well, I think the way to start the conversation, Christoph, is probably to say something that seems really obvious, but people are doing almost everything online. So if you think about your mobile device, especially smartphones today, it's incredible just how much stuff we're doing on these devices. So it's become the remote control for daily life. We are doing the obvious things, staying in touch with friends and family we're watching an awful lot of content we're reading an awful lot of content but we're also managing our finances we're tracking our health we're looking for love we're doing just about everything online today so if you think about all the aspects of your life even sleep we have apps to track our sleep and tell us how well we slept which seems a little bit ironic to me you wake up you should know how you feel but apparently you need an app to tell you that um so yeah every aspect of daily life is now in some way connected to the internet for better or worse and from that perspective, I suppose, from a marketing standpoint, the key important questions become what do we need to do with this data so that we become a more relevant part of people's connected life. I'm currently accepting requests for future virtual and on-site keynotes and workshops. In 2020 alone, I've spoken in Singapore and Istanbul, virtually, of course, thanks covid I can't wait to get back on the road, and if we still can't get on the road in 2021, I would be happy to speak at your event virtually. Please reach out to me, ctrap at gmail.com or authenticstorytelling.net. It's done online today. I mean, my, you know, I'm in this room, no matter what I do, honestly, we, I don't go anywhere else, right? Um, I just, I mean, I mean, this is where I do everything. This is where I give keynotes in Singapore. Actually, I gave one not too long ago at 10.30 p.m. my time. That was even later. I took a nap before I went on <laughs> online, right? You know, seriously. Uh, gave one in Istanbul. Same spot right here. Uh, we don't go anywhere. Yeah. My, my six-year-old school classroom is right back there. She sits in there on her computer. My 12-year-old, she sits upstairs. Um, so everything is moving online, but... What does that mean to to the marketers in us, right? Because because the problem is, it's also very easy to tune people out, right? I mean, I can just yeah. mute, mute, mute. Uh, I mean, block. I, honestly, guys, for a marketer, I would not recommend blocking anybody. Mute them um, because you want them <laughs> to see your stuff, but you don't necessarily want to see their stuff. Um, but but it is easy to tune things out, right? Unsubscribe, filter into the trash, uh, whatever it might go. So so what are we seeing? What's working? Uh, without being overly annoying. It's the overly annoying bit that you want to be careful of. And I think that's that's the easiest place to start. Marketers, especially advertisers, um, if you think about the heritage of where we came from in the mass media world, we were used to interrupting people to tell them how amazing we thought we were. And there was no feedback loop. We, It's not like, a, you know, you go to a 
back in the old days before COVID, you would go to a dinner party and you would sit next to somebody and you would see on their face when they were tuning out, you know, I'm a data guy, I sit next to somebody, I start talking about data. It's amazing how quickly they glaze over. But in the marketing world, we didn't have that feedback loop in the mass media world. And I think that we became used to just talking about ourselves endlessly without realizing whether we were saying anything meaningful that our audiences cared about. And I think it's become increasingly clear on the online world that marketing messages are simply not best adapted in most cases for what people are actually looking for. If you look at the places where people are spending the most time, things like social media, streaming services like Netflix and Disney Plus, all of the different things that we do online, it, it's very clear what the benefit back to the audience is. And an awful lot of the models that we used to embrace as marketers, which are those ad supported models, are the ones that don't seem to be getting embraced so much online. So very little advertising going into platforms like Netflix and Disney Plus. I think the only real way that we're going to get through this as marketers is to be a lot more conscious of adding value in the things that we create, whether that's content or events or whatever else, even products and services need to be a lot more adapted to the value that audiences are seeking out. I think in the mass marketing world, we created things that were not necessarily essential. And then we did this massive advertising push around them and somehow that managed to sort of move product. Increasingly, people are able to choose from so many different options from all around the world. You go onto an e-commerce site and you can buy from anybody anywhere. And that level of competition is new for an awful lot of businesses. So I think what we need to be conscious of is how do we, at every opportunity, create real value for our audiences and customers. Of course, what real value is is highly debatable, right? Because <laughs> absolutely, I, I mean, you know, are people listening to the podcast? Is it offering value? You know, even when you look at the uh, when you look at the numbers. I mean, you mentioned Netflix. Netflix. Uh, I thought a while ago they changed how they measure um, views, right? And I think it's like the first five minutes now, or whatever, or for maybe first three minutes. And my my feedback was. First three minutes, that doesn't even make it to the five-minute rule. You know the five-minute rule? If you don't stand it within five minutes, you move on, do something else. Um, yeah. But the numbers are brutal, right? I mean, you're looking at things, and it's like people watch, you know, a couple minutes here and there, and um, a lot of people tune in and tune out. And that doesn't mean you don't make an impression on them. It doesn't mean you're not offering value. But the time of, of uninterrupted... Um, attention i don't know they might be gone yeah attention is one of those fascinating things in marketing we, we love to talk a lot about these declining attention spans i think that's completely missing the point people's attention spans have not really reduced it's that their impatience has increased that's the real challenge that we face here Netflix is a perfect example of the fact that attention spans are strong and well. People are quite happy to sit down and binge watch an entire series. Tiger King, great example, you know, people watching hours of it on end all at once. So people are perfectly capable of sitting down and giving their undivided attention to something over long periods of time. But the number of options that we've got is so much greater than it was previously. And our access to those options is so much easier than it used to be you know you you grab your device which is almost always next to you and you can go from one piece of content to another with the flick of a finger and it's just you know we are generally flicking fingers at the things that we're not interested in 
I think it's that bit that we need to get our heads around. If we're not creating something that the audience would actively seek out, it's so easy for them just to ignore us and to move on to the next thing that was on their list of stuff that they wanted to do. And, you know, inevitably that's going to be a long list of stuff that they have that they want to be looking at or watching or reading or whatever else it may be. We've got to get honest with ourselves. We need to be um, a little bit more sociable when it comes to content online. I mean, absolutely. But the other thing I think it's important to remember, too, is as you mentioned, there's so many options. So when you said Tiger King, I, I mean, I'm, I'm throwing up the uh, 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 puke emoji over here, you know, not my, my cup of tea at all, not interested in watching that show at, at all. And <laughs> some people are right. But then there's other shows, of course, that I binge watch uh, on Netflix, you know, like Shameless and what's the other one, Working Moms or whatever it is. And, and some of those shows. And um, but Back in the day, I, I think I remember reading these numbers when the Cosby show was on. They were the number one rated show. And their numbers were like way up here, right? Because people had three channels to watch yeah. and that was it. And so, you know, if people watched it, they watched it because they also didn't have any choice. And then a couple of years ago, I think it was Big Brother was the number one rated show. And so if the Cosby show was here, Big Brother was here. Yeah. Right. But they were still number one because that's the new uh, the new measurement. So people need to be honest with that is you're not going to get these million views. Right. And even and even if you get the million views doesn't mean it's going to um, drive conversions. Right. We had Chris Daly on the show the other day talking about we drove all these SEO traffic, but it didn't convert because we didn't have a good conversion funnel or the product sucked or whatever it might be. Um, so how do we get that into our minds and, and how do we use the data to squeeze relevance out of the smaller amount of audience that we can get? Yeah, metrics is the, the important bit of the conversation. So you mentioned data and I think there's the data on one side that tells us where people are and what they're doing. And that data is fantastically valuable. At the bottom of your screen there, you'll see we give all that data available for free at Data Reportal. So if you want to know what your audiences are doing in every country in the world, that data is available now in a, a variety of different places, including ours. But the data that you have that tells you what your brand is achieving is equally important. Now, I know that big data has been a part of the marketing lingo for quite some time now and I know probably most of the people listening in today are questioning or even getting involved very heavily in analyzing their own data sets but choosing your metrics is probably the bit that I am most concerned about when I speak to a lot of marketers around the world they've sort of gone in the same way that we've got all these different options to spend our time and attention we've got all these different options as marketers where we can collect data and then put it into these massive big systems but an awful lot of that data just ends up being noise we look at all these interesting metrics we've got these fancy dashboards but it's not always telling us how well we're performing and are we getting better at closing the deal that matters to us i think being a little bit more focused on the things that matter to our business and being brutally honest about saying if I spend all of this money, what is the outcome that I want? Is it sufficient that I have this much attention? Is engagement a really useful metric when it comes to understanding whether I get the conversions that I'm looking for, whether that's a sale or an action or a vote if you're a politician, whatever else it may be. So drilling it right down to what's the money metric? What is the answer that I'm looking for, the outcome that I'm really interested in as a marketer rather than spending all this time measuring the outputs so a lot of the stuff that i see when measuring the performance of content regardless of whether that content is delivering the message effectively and whether that then translates into the outcome that i care about so distill all that down 
outcomes, not outputs. That's where your real attention should be. So I'm also not a fan of measuring outputs or putting too much um, um, value on that. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, it is a little bit like a baseball player, right? I mean, if a baseball player, I don't know, is, does that carry in Singapore? Maybe. We'll, <laughs> Try maybe. me. I'll see how we'll, I do. We'll see. You got a baseball player, right? They're up to bat and they got a hit. And if they're only up to bat once, they might get a hit, right? But they also might yeah. not. Chances are they're not. And, you know, so, so they still have to take bats. And I, I look at it the same way when it comes to content creation and even trying to reach audiences, right? I mean, I've given this example before, uh, and people probably heard it before, but like this podcast. So now we're live on all these different channels, right? Then we publish the podcast version on 20 more channels. So I'm already sending this thing to 25 channels, and we're trying to drive results, right, just by being, you know, figuring out how to do that in the most efficient way. And it's really just one click, you know, with live stream, uh, with, with uh, restream, as I mentioned earlier, to, to send it to all those channels. Um, and then I sometimes write articles. Then I sometimes, I mean, I always promote it on social, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to have a certain level of output. So everybody, if you're yeah. listening to Simon and you're thinking, oh, Simon just said we don't have to do anything. I don't think that's what you said, right? <laughs> <laughs> Please don't quote me on saying that one. Um, but you're absolutely right. I, I think the important bit here is you'll do a lot of different stuff as marketers. Mm -hmm. Ideally, you're not banking everything on, on one single activity. So understanding the cumulative effect of everything that you do is really important, especially because we, can, we as marketers can do so much more. So you mentioned previously we used to have three TV channels and that was the only choice as the audience. It was the same thing for marketers. We only had a couple of channels that we could use. You got one national, one local newspaper, maybe a local radio station and then a TV channel if you have the budget. Now you've got 20 different social media channels alone that you can spend your time on if you choose to. And as you mentioned, you know, the, the level of audience that you can reach on any one of those channels is going to be a lot lower than we used to remember back in the days of mass because people have those different options. The audience is so much more fragmented. And I think what you're looking for as a result of that is the effect over time. Now, it is admittedly a lot more difficult to measure that. How do you know what journey each individual has gone on and what impact that has and whether one individual thing has driven the sale versus a mixture of different stuff but to sort of steal some thinking from Seth Godin back in the day I think we've got to think about marketing an awful lot more like we think about dating a lot of marketers even in today's world are still stuck on that one night stand approach to marketing they sort of throw everything into one individual activity and hope that they're going to get a, a very quick sale shall we say whereas what if you think about the real value in marketing what we're looking for is that lifetime kind of build of value and co-creation of mutual value with our customers and our audiences. And that's not going to depend on one single date. So it's not going to depend on that one piece of activity. That's what I mean by measuring the outcomes. If you're only measuring an individual output and you bank everything on that one thing, it's like you said, you've got your batter up at the up at the stand there. And if they're not hitting within those first three pitches, can you really measure how good they are just because of that one individual inning? And I think that's that's going to be really unfortunate if you are expecting results immediately out of just that one activity. Do you need help with digital marketing for your small to medium-sized business? Reach out now and drop us a message at ctrap at gmail.com.
on lots of dates with your audience. Find out what they care about and what works. And, you know, different people are going to like different things. I think that's the bit we need to get our head around. There is no one size fits all magic solution here. But dating is so much work. <laughs> it <laughs> maybe, is, but maybe that's we've, part we've of the point. Be, it is. And I think, you know, we, we've got to stop being, we've got to stop expecting this to be easy. It's not. Marketing was never easy. We just fooled ourselves into thinking it was because we could get everybody all at once. And sure enough, some of them. So terrible analogy here, but where I grew up in Scotland, there was a saying that if you walk into a bar, uh, ask a hundred people to sleep with you, statistically, one of them will say yes. That was the way that marketing used to work. The question is, whether that one person was the one that you wanted to spend the rest of your life with. I think as marketers, you know, you may be happy with one in a hundred one night stands, but the longer term value is surely the better longer term option. I'm sure Byron Sharp would have some thoughts on that, considering the whole, the the way brands work as a a book. If you've read that, um, the sort of idea of needing to keep awareness and one time buyers as well as loyal buyers and the, the match between that. But I am still of the belief that if you can build that loyalty, it's going to be, better value long term well it also depends on who that one person is i mean that's exactly real. and there's another uh there's another marketing lesson from dating uh seth godin you mentioned him uh if you are watching on amazon live i just featured his book here the practice shipping creative work and of course seth was on the show a few weeks ago november 3rd i guess that's already a month ago two months ago almost by the time the podcast version comes out and fantastic thought leader. You know, we talked about the purple cow. I still use that example today. You have to be a purple cow, especially for guys like me who are in Iowa. And we got plenty of cows here. So a black and white (laughs) cow, probably not going to draw anybody's attention. So so you talked about driving revenue. Of course, we all want to make money, but it's not always that simple, right? I mean, content marketing, especially, um, it doesn't necessarily like uh, one article, one podcast, like, you know, we mentioned Restream already. We mentioned Switcher. We mentioned other things. And, you know, of course, there are, there are partners. But does one podcast really make that kind of money? No, right? It's the yeah. cumulative effort. It's everything together. Um, it's not just, hey, is this one line that Christoph had that people loved on the podcast? Is that going to make us millionaires? Probably not, right? I mean, it's... It's not as simple as saying, hey, we got to drive conversions. Exactly that. And I think you've got you've got two different sort of streams, if you like, of content and success. You've got the kind of stuff that appeals to the masses that is going to get loads and loads of great views and will probably speak to general audiences in a certain way that they kind of they nod their heads and they feel like this is speaking to them. You've then got the content that speaks to a very niche audience that doesn't actually resonate with the masses and yet it will really really resonate with a small group of people who then really sort of feel you know like the the desire to act on it the content that we produce as part of data reportal never ceases to fascinate me so we produce thousands of reports um every country in the world as i mentioned every january we publish new reports for every country in the world the ones that really seem to succeed are never the ones that i expect so you know sure enough the countries with the biggest populations tend to get a decent number of views but when you look at it on a per capita basis the places that have the least amount of data typically tend to get the most views because obviously there's lack of data elsewhere to find there but we also do these really sort of niche studies on things like so we did a, a study on um e-commerce in Southeast Asia. 
And if you look at how well that performed, sure enough, that's not speaking to a global audience. Um, it's very limited in terms of the number of people around the world that are really going to want to dig into that data. But it performed exceptionally well because it was a lot deeper in terms of the way that it went about stuff. And I think as marketers, we need to understand that there is this important difference between preaching to the masses and having sort of a general huge audience versus finding lots of smaller dandelion seeds that are going to resonate with different audiences. And some of them are going to fail and some of them are going to be amazingly successful beyond your expectations. But like you said, you can't just base everything on that one thing and hope it's going to work. You've got to try lots of different stuff and the internet does make that easier. And so I actually, I found that as well. Sometimes the stuff I think should really take off doesn't take off at all. And then sometimes the stuff I'm, I'm like, oh, why do I even do that? It's kind of interesting, maybe like 20%. And then all of a sudden it takes off. What tips do you have for people? And I, I always, when, when something takes off, and I, especially after I said, oh, I don't know, it's okay. People always go, well, aren't you the expert? Shouldn't you know? Blah, 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 blah. And like, I, is that like a holdover from the days when everything was just so clear cut? Or, or why, why do we feel like that? Yeah, I, I don't think there is any way of repeating success in today's world. I think as soon as you found something that works once, you can maybe repeat it a couple of times and it will still deliver value. But people have so many options that if they feel like they're starting to see the same thing again and again, they just quickly move on because they have so many different options. So that's the reason why there is no one size fits all magic silver bullet solution. I think, you know, I've been guilty of finding one piece of content that worked really well and thinking, I'll milk that, I'll do it again and again and again. And you quickly get disappointed with the results because it's just not delivering the same way that it did the first time. So, you know, I think this idea that we're going to find a magic formula and then just be able to keep on churning it out, that is a very dangerous way of thinking because it's simply going to be possible. Even if you look at things that you think are repeating the same idea, they're very cleverly evolving over time, the ones that continue to be successful. And it's that, I think we need to understand, it's like a piece of music, if it is, I'm a fan of techno, and even in techno, a lot of people think it needs to be repetitive, but it's the way that it evolves through each of individual tracks that keeps the, the dancer's attention, if you like, on the dance floor. And it's that bit, you, you can come up with something that at least echoes themes throughout each piece of content, but you're going to have to keep changing it. The good news is that digital content, it's an awful lot easier to do that. I think, you know, you, you can invest an awful lot of money in creating great video content, but compared to the old days where it was really expensive to get on TV, you've got a lot more options as a marketer now. I'm not pretending it's super cheap and everybody can do it, but the options are at our disposal. So let's embrace them. I think stop comparing back to that old model. Try new things. Try new things. And here's the other thing. I know some people won't love me saying that, but you can create a lot of stuff now with your iPhone, with your iPad, etc. I mean, we're producing this whole show basically on an iPad, on the computer, and, you know, Amazon Live is running on the iPhone. Uh, talking about Amazon Live, I am highlighting Andrea Freire's Mastering Marketing Agility currently because when you were just talking about um, trying new things, it really, the agile marketing philosophy mm. came to mind, right? Try things, try them for a week, go on a sprint, see what works, try something else. Um, one of the things I noticed in your report, I mean, you certainly have um, reports globally and also specialized report, but then you have local data for like a 230 countries or something. How important is that? I mean, if I'm, you know, marketing in, in a little area in Iowa or Chicagoland or something, I mean, I don't, I, I shouldn't care 
what people in New York City do, I guess, or, or what's your opinion on localization? Yeah, this is a really interesting one. So I think it, one of the bits that I find most fascinating is because the internet is inherently global for almost everybody. There are some countries where it's slightly less global, but let's not go there for today's conversation. But I can access content out of um, Hong Kong. I can access content <clears throat> out of Canada. I can access content out of Chile. Absolutely no issues for me there and being able to go around the world from right here on my desk. And I think because I've got those options, because I can consume content and I can buy products from <clears throat> almost anywhere in the world, even if you're a small local marketer, you need to be aware of some of the trends that are happening around the world because that's going to, you know, because your local audience still has choices and they can be buying things from somebody on the other side of the world through e-commerce, sure enough, you're going to be facing them as a competitor. Now, it may take a little bit of time for this globalization to really impact every part of the world. We're still going to prefer things that are very clearly tailored to our local needs. But at the same time, as a marketer, we need to be aware of those trends. So I think one of the things that I'm most interested in at the moment is looking at how live stream commerce coming out of China is starting to change the way that people across the whole of Asia are buying things. Now, it seems like people in the West, in North America, in Europe, haven't really caught on to this trend yet. But this idea of influencers creating live streams, very much like this one, but directly to sell products, you know, it's totally exploded in China. The, the volume of revenue that's going through this one lady, Via, uh, sold six billion US dollars worth of products on her live streams last year, which was more than Carrefour, the, the huge supermarket chain, sold in an entire year across all of its stores. If one person can do that out of their own little home studio, then that, that's huge, huge implications for every kind of brand. Now, <clears throat> I don't know to what extent that's going to influence every single industry, but the opportunity is there. And we as marketers can either look at that as a threat or we can see it as an opportunity and say, wow, if that one lady can do that out of her, if she started in her front room, if you like, in her bedroom, if that one lady can achieve that over there, then there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to do exactly the same thing here. I've just got to find that affinity with my audience. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that, you know, it's so easy to spend a lot of money on something and then wonder why it didn't work because it was it was boring, right? And and the example, <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's the truth. I mean, the example yeah. I gave I had the other day, you know, I took a family picture and literally I took one of the tripods that I have. I mean, one, the iPad is standing on a tripod right now, but then I got another one for an iPhone, which was kind of funny because I, I told my six-year-old, can you please go get me the tripod? And she runs downstairs into my office and then she comes to the steps and goes, for the iPad or iPhone? Like my six-year-old knew the difference, right? <laughs> and of course, it was totally. the iPhone. And then basically, we put the iPhone. We found a place with good lighting. I mean, it's, as you can see, it's you know, 735 here now. There's no outside light. So it's, the lighting isn't quite as good, but I got a ring light. Um, but, the, but the family pictures looked fantastic with an iPhone and a $12 yeah. tripod and some good lighting outside. So my point is you don't need to have fancy photography for all these different things. Yeah, you can produce really high quality, really engaging content with the devices that you carry with you everywhere in your pocket. And increasingly those are available at a global level as well. So I think it, the important bit is the storytelling rather than the expensive kit that you've got. So. I am guilty of gear acquisition syndrome. Um, so I was watching a video from DSLR shooter, a guy called Caleb on YouTube. If you're into sort of any kind of um, 
video kit, audio kit. It's an absolutely brilliant channel. But he was talking about gear acquisition syndrome, this idea that we go on and we see people talking about these amazing gadgets and we feel like we have to have them in order to succeed. I'm guilty of it. As you can see, I buy expensive mics to do my stuff with and I don't really need them. I could have done it just with this if I wanted to. You are absolutely able to produce super engaging content with the stuff that you already have if you get your storytelling down. The great irony is that the thing that helps my business succeed most isn't the expensive kit that I buy. It's giving people those reports that answer the questions that they really have. Now, obviously, I enjoy the marketing aspect of it. As a marketer, I want to indulge in these kinds of things, but you don't need that. If you've got great storytelling, you can engage your audiences and go after that bit. It's very true, but you know, before we went online, I said, Simon, leave the microphone there. It looks great. It does look <laughs> better than me in my, you know, just my regular um, AirPods or EarPods or whatever they're called. Um, but I mean, it does look better. But on the other hand, right, I, I don't really need a mic to do it. Uh, and I probably haven't used the real mic in forever and ever and ever. Um, tell us why should people go to datareportal.com? What what is the pain point it's solving for them? I mean, there's so much data out there. Why do they need more data? What's uh, what, what can they learn? What can they take away quickly? So the, the, the key differentiation between what we offer and everybody else is we bring everything together in one place. So we are not primarily a research house ourselves. We are an analysis organization. We bring together lots of fantastic third-party data. So organizations like Global Web Index, Statista, the ITU, Appani, all these great organizations that we partner with, and we bring a lot of their data together in one place. So if you're looking to understand everything that's happening about um, what people are doing online in France today, for example, we bring all of that data together in one place. But I think to answer your question of what's the pain point beyond that, I mean, that's convenient. That's what an awful lot of brands do. But beyond that, we are less about trying to come up with the sort of the, the big hyperbolic headline. An awful lot of the media stories that I see about digital behaviors around the world focus on these huge, big numbers. So this new social media platform has a billion users around the world. And then you dig into the numbers and you realize that it's had a billion downloads after the last five years, but actually only 10 people use it. What we try and do is we give you the very latest data on what people are actually doing on the internet. So whether it's the number of people that are using social platforms, which kind of apps they're using, which uh, which websites they visit, whether they've got a fast or a slow internet connection, all these kinds of things. We want you as a marketer to understand the reality of what your audience is doing. Now, obviously, even doing it at a country level, there's going to be a lot of differences between different demographics in that audience, different parts of the country, rural versus urban, all that kind of stuff. But what we're really trying to do is prompt better questions. I, I get nervous that I see a lot of marketers taking these data points that are quoted in the media as gospel. And in reality, it reflects one small behavior from one very particular audience in one country. And we can't then apply that at a global level. So all we're really trying to do is help you to come up with better questions that lead you to better strategic thinking so you can make better decisions. But yeah, like you said, there's a lot of data out there and we can only hear so much of it. So um, we add an analysis layer on top of that as well. Please, 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 please ask better questions, be more collaborative. And, and I do think that's actually a holdover from the old days too, right? Somebody drives by the marketing team and basically drops off an order. Hey, can you make this look pretty? Um, no, this is how pretty I look. This is my resting thinking face. That's, that's what you get. There's nothing else, you know. Um, but 
that is uh, that is an old model, and I know there are some people that are still in that model, and you can't even ask questions. Hey, what are we trying to accomplish? Um, what are we trying to do? And and I was reading a thing the other day about billboards, you know, and and uh, somebody said billboards is fifty percent ego and fifty percent brain awareness. So you know, I want to see that billboard of my brain on my way home. Of course, who drives home anymore right now? We're all stuck at home. Things COVID. I don't know how's how's the situation in Singapore. Uh, it's fingers crossed, not too bad for now. Um, we had quite strict lockdown, and we've managed to sort of maintain success after that. But yeah, I confess I still don't go out as much as perhaps I used to because, as you pointed out, my world has become this: doing webinars and conversations like this from my my little office. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. I'm uh, you know I go from here to the the the, the living room to the bedroom and. Uh, some of the rooms in between. Simon, it was great to have you on the show. Thanks for making your time to kick off your day uh, in Singapore. Really appreciate your insights. Thanks for having me, Christoph. Great to be here. You bet. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And just a real quick shout out, if I can put that on here really quickly before we sign off. One second. That's not the right screen. Um, I still have this special. Where did it go? Oh, right there using the same colors really quickly uh still got a special going on for um digital marketing strategy if you want to check that out please do uh, authenticstorytelling.net um, five hours digital marketing strategy and implementation 500 bucks as opposed to 600 thanks everyone for listening and watching until next time